Ryan. What? I, I'm introducing you, Ryan. I'm so lost right now. I know. You're supposed to be. You know why? Why? Because it's Friday. And you know <laughs> what that means? That it's actually Saturday? Well, I mean, we are in the past currently, uh, I think. Oh, in terms of listening? <laughs> yes, but it's the Keychains podcast. <laughs> Wait, so my, my audio must have cut out because all I heard was you go three, two, one, and then there was like a second or two of silence, and then Ryan. Yeah. Well, that's why I was like, what? <laughs> yep, it's perfect. <laughs> anyway. So yes, it's the Keychains podcast. Um, so we finally played a Chainbound event, and it was awesome. It was. It was a good time. Uh, I was actually pretty concerned because uh, essentially the way my Tuesdays work out is I don't end up at the game store until like seven o'clock, and the game store closes at ten. So I've always I'd been very cautious about the idea of running sort of a tournament at uh, on our game night because uh, just because of timing, but man, 35 minutes is I, I've come around on best of one timing. Like 35 minutes is perfect. Like it just, it just was enough to get it done. So it's funny. You should say that um, on, on Reddit, there were, uh, there were people talking about how 35 minutes was nowhere near enough time and that most of their games were ending with tiebreakers. That's interesting because I, I don't think like I think that we're we're experienced players. I think that we're, you know, decent players. I don't think we're like amazing players. Um, I definitely still don't remember and recognize cards. So like maybe half to a third of the time I, I you know, just refresh my memory of whatever card they just played. Um, but I, I still think like, you know, we're, we're going at a decent clip. I mean, a sealed is obviously going to be different, but like we played. Uh, so I guess for format for our chainbound, we did Archon. We each brought our own deck and, and just played that um because that was the easiest thing but um i mean i i the longest game all night was 30 minutes yeah we we often had like a surplus of time in between each rounds or each round i think maybe each of us knew our like i knew my deck really well um and i think that the other people knew their decks pretty well too so that might have been a part of it because if you think about it if you know your deck really well then you may have questions about your opponent's cards and you may need to make, uh, spend a little bit of time making decisions as far as strategy and tactics in the game, but you don't need to spend a lot of time thinking about the cards in your hand, like what they are, what they do. You don't have to refresh your memory about the cards you've got in play. You don't have to remember what you might still have in your deck because you know your deck really well. So maybe that was the big difference. So one of the other things I think that really helped us with this is that a lot of people just had the basic rules down. So there wasn't a lot of questions. No one was new. Right. Uh, so it was just like, all right, here's what's going on on my opponent's board. Here's what's going on on my board. Let's just go. And, you know, there's a, a skill in watching what your opponent's doing, looking at your hand and knowing what moves you're going to make on your turn and knowing how to adjust with what you have in your hand based on, you know, what you you're seeing happening. Uh, I guess it's maybe just because I've had so much experience with playing magic and knowing like that instant speed interaction, I have to be constantly aware of what's being, what's changing with the board state. So, I mean, that experience might help me, but like everyone just kind of 
having that same mindset of sitting down, watching what the opponent's doing, watching what you're doing, and then just reacting based on that, I think sped up our game times a lot. Yeah, absolutely. That, that made no small difference. So, and then the results of that, I came in third, I think. Is that what happened? Yep. So it was uh, Brian came in first. I squeaked into second. Um, you were third. And I think you and I had identical records. I was two and one with a bye. And I think you were also two and one with a bye, correct? Uh, I was two and one with a bye, yeah. yeah. So the bye so was my was... second win. Right. So I think that it was just strength of schedule or whatever that that put us into second and third respectively so i I should probably split my winnings with you no no, it's fine i got a cool lanyard out of the deal that's true um i played my uh annihilation ritual deck which was pretty fun that was uh gopple the privateer of bucklers Uh, (laughs) in my first game i it was another situation of getting that out turn one Uh, i did learn that that deck not having annihilation ritual early definitely slows it down uh but Otherwise, it's still a fun deck to play. I, I, it's fun because of how much it changes the game state once yeah. that card is out. So, and then having you know three charrettes and two old Brunos, like it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I played Richard the Scaled. Uh, I'm not really going to talk about it because I spent what a good we, six hours talking about it last episode. Yeah, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. Uh, I don't know what the final clock in was. Um, but no, so I played a lot Richard of the Scaled. Yeah. Um, and it was it was fine. The one thing. So Brian's deck, uh, and I don't remember the name of it. So unfortunately, you'll just have to trust us that this is what it had in it. Um, but he had a lot of Mars and he had uh, a, a lot of Sanctum. Um, well, being two houses, I guess there was an even third of each. But uh, a lot of it, it, he had a lot of armor in his Sanctum and a lot of um, uh, protection in his Sanctum. And then his Mars was you know, the classic Mars, you get a bunch of Mars guys out, they all fight and reap and do awesome things. Um, but the tricky part about Mars is always keeping them on the table. And that's where his sanctum went really well with his Mars. Cause he had like what, two, three bulwarks in his deck. So I think he, he given... said, I think he said it was three bulwarks yep. and a gray monk on the table. Yeah. Every game he played. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's just ridiculous. So you're looking at like creatures that have like four armor, five armor potentially depending on how things are stacking out and it was just like what i was finding my the big weakness for the deck i was finding is that there's a difference between soft removal and hard removal soft removal are things like um relentless whispers positron uh, bolt where you do damage to remove things and those are usually fine for the most part you can pair them up with a creature to kill something if it's a high power creature um you can pick off a bad penny or a, a succubus if you need to um but with all the armor that he had on the table my soft removal which is all that that deck had was doing nothing i did not have enough powerful stuff and i would i would have to spend three cards to destroy one of his um it was just so much card advantage and then he got a mother he got two mothers out on the table he had a bulwark next to like at least one of them so he was just getting extra cards the entire game and nothing i could do could take those creatures out it was just it was just such a bonkers deck. Um, and then hard removal, I guess I should close the loop on that. Hard removal is stuff like um, Hand of Dis, where it's destroy a creature, even if it's conditional, where it's non-flank or flank or what have you, um, or gateway to Dis. Like, these are all hard removal cards that are going to just, yeah, no, stuff's dead. Um, yeah. 
I'm really finding that now that I'm looking at like when I'm looking through my decks and stuff, I just want like one or two pieces of that hard removal. That's just like, Hey, you know what? I, I don't want your mother on the table anymore. Like let's, let's get rid of that. Yeah. Is Logos the other house in his deck? Oh, it would have to be because mother. Yeah, so yeah, so it was logo. So it was logo sanctum and Mars, which was just such a great combination because mother kept filling his hand up. So he had options for his Mars. Uh, sanctum just ran interference. Sanctum was uh, to use the American football metaphor. They were his linemen. Like they just sat there and blocked. Um, and then his uh, his logos. Um, you know. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to stop the metaphor there. But uh, so Sanctum, Sanctum ran interference. There were his linemen. And then the Mars, it just it would let them go off. Like he got all his Mars stuff down. He got all his utility logo stuff down. And it was just a nightmare trying to deal with that thing. He would like he had so many creatures there wrapping around onto the next row because there wasn't enough sideways room to get them. Um, yeah. And that was not unusual. I think that happened in literally every game he played. Um, and uh, I think he said that he's like seven and one on the Crucible with that deck. So it was it was a nightmare to be sitting across from. But I mean, Brian's a great player and he's a great guy. So that, that definitely uh, eased the pain a little bit of getting crushed. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that was kind of our our gameplay experience of the week. Um, FFG actually did do some uh, some neat stuff this week uh, with a live stream of the new decks. Uh, so we are going to talk about this for a little bit. Uh, if you are trying to stay away from the the Age of Ascension spoilers, please jump ahead or, you know, because there's still more to come after this. But uh, we're going to definitely talk about those spoilers. So fast forward. Uh, I'm, what I'll do is I'll put the timestamp of when the next section starts. And you can just jump to that time, uh, timestamp so you bypass the, uh, the spoilers. But uh, so, Ryan, uh, take it off. Yeah, so I uh, I was lucky enough to have inclement weather um, and be working from home uh, the other day when FFG Live was going on Twitch. So I was able to actually watch it because it's blocked at work. Um, I mean, rightly so. I guess Twitch isn't strictly necessary for me to do my job, so I can't blame them for that. Uh, so I, I was able to tune in. It was really fun. They had... Um, so they had two decks. One was from Call of the Archons, and the other was from the upcoming set, Age of Ascension. Um, so not every card was new, but there was a good there was a good substantial amount of um, spoilers from these new cards. Every time they got a new card out in play, they put it up um, in front of the camera so everyone could see it. So that was pretty cool. There was around thirteen ish, I think, spoilers, give or take. Um, Baker's dozen. And so we wanted to talk about a couple of them here. We're not going to necessarily go over every single one of them. Um, but there were a couple that uh, that jumped out at us as being cool, as being fun and interesting. So we wanted to kind of talk about it a little bit. Um, Steve, what was one of the ones that jumped out at you? Uh, are we just going to jump around here? Because I'm going to let you talk about the one that is the boon to your existence. But I think also simultaneously the bane of your existence. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're talking about Key of Darkness, which was the old um, Shadows key cheating card to let you forge out of turn or out of sequence i should say um it looks like they're getting rid of it uh in favor of a new key cheating card uh it's called night forge so it's a shadows card it's called night forge it has one bonus ember and it says play if you have not forged a key this turn 
you may forge a key at plus four current cost. So most of the time that's going to be 10. And 10 ember is not hard to come by, especially if your person, uh, if, well, you know, it's weird because I was just going to say, if your opponent plays Miasma, you can easily get up to 10, but we don't know if Miasma is going to be reprinted. So it's kind of questionable how good this may or may not be. It may be hard to get to 10 ember and stay at 10 ember. We don't really know what's going to be coming out in this set. Um, I mean, to keep in mind, too, though, that like you're still able to play against Call of the Archons decks. So Miasma still... True relatively is still relative yeah that's I, I didn't even th i didn't even think of that okay good because that's the only thing i can compare things to <laughs> so i'm glad it won't be useless comparison <laughs> so if your friend is playing call of the archons <laughs> and they play miasma uh you actually have a reliable efficient way to cheat a key out along the lines of key charge um and some of those other ones uh, i i like this card it actually he's holding a key in his hand i like to think that that is the key of darkness and he's like i'm gonna get rid of this i'm just gonna throw this away this is useless so let me ask you this did they say one way or another during the stream that they were not printing key of darkness in the set i think there's some people that are um, based on alphabet and card type they're going through and crunching the numbers on what cards are getting reprinted or not um so I don't know where that's at and if Key of Darkness still has a chance to be reprinted. Um, basically, for those that may not be aware, what you do when you're going through and trying to crunch out reprints is you, uh, since everything is organized alphabetically, you put in which card names you know of, whether they're uh, spoilers or whether they're reprints that are known, and you just figure out alphabetically, are there any cards that can fit in there? So if there was a, um, let's say there's a card that starts with the word J, um, like I don't know, Jimmy is a, a card. And then the next card alphabetically, because um, you go by card number two, I apologize, you go by card number. So they go in sequence too. So if you find out Jimmy is card number 45, and then um, Mary is card number 46, then Key of Darkness can't possibly be reprinted because it, it would fall between J and M, and there's no card numbers available between those two cards. Um, so people are crunching the numbers, trying to see what might get reprinted, what might not. I know they've ruled some stuff out. I haven't actually kept up on it myself. Um, so I don't know. I'm hoping Key of Darkness doesn't get reprinted because I just, I hate that card so much. It makes me so mad. In a way, it would make sense for it to not exist in, in just that it's giving Shadows more key cheats, I think. Right. And, then, and then on top of that, since Nightforge gives you an Amber, like, I mean, you can't... so. So one thing to keep in mind with this card too is that you can't loop with it because it requires you can only use it if you hadn't forged a key. And it's so you wouldn't be it... able to use this. You wouldn't be able to use Key of Darkness and then forge or forge at the start of your turn and then use this card. Correct. So yeah, it's uh, it's an important note that it says that you forged a, uh, you have not forged a key this turn. So it doesn't matter whether it's during your forge step. Uh, or not, just like Steve said, yeah. So if you have like phase shift and something else and you're forging a key and then trying to night forge, it's not going to work. But if um, you can, I, I think the thing with night forge is that you could, in a way, night forge and then key of darkness if you had an incredible surplus of, of amber, which, you know, there are some cards out there that do, do make, you know, key of darkness work. Like if you can. Yeah. If you have an Ether Spider that's been, although I guess that wouldn't work either because the Ether Spider would have been sealing your amber the entire time. Regardless, <laughs> there are ways to get a huge surplus of of amber in this game. Yeah, and so you could, in theory, Night Forge then Key of Darkness because Key of Darkness doesn't have that 
um, prerequisite of not forging a key this turn. So yep. I think them not reprinting Key of Darkness would be smart because they're probably going to be some ways. I mean, granted, you know, if you pulled that off, I guess that'd be an incredible reward. Like you were able to collect that much amber without forging a key. You have that you were able to amber. Yeah, you need ten uh, for the night forge, and then uh, it's what plus six for so the, twelve uh, for the the key of uh, key of darkness. Yeah, so like twenty six. Yeah, that's just that's unless unless your opponent happens to have zero, because you know that's very very unrare. I mean, if you could steal it up out, um, I, I mean, guess. I don't know. Like it, I'm just saying it might be beneficial for them to not print that card. Um, but I, I don't think they will. I, I, they, I doubt they'll reprint. It. I doubt they'll reprint it like ever again, unless they come up with a mechanic in a set that like dumps someone's pool completely to zero. Um, yeah. But I, I think the single best thing about Nightforge that actually makes it really good, even compared to things like Key Charge, is that it gives you a number when you play it. So if nothing else, if you're like if you have no chance of using the card, but you need some answers, you need to cycle uh, some of your cards to get some new stuff at the end of the turn, you still get an ember out of it. So it's not, uh, unlike Key of Darkness, unlike Key Charge, um, with those cards, when you're in a situation where they're kind of useless to you, you get nothing for them. Um, this one, you can play it, even if you can't forge, um, and you still get the ember. Right. Yeah, in a way, on the optimum level of playing this card, it is effectively saying... Uh, you may forge a key at plus three because that card also gives you the amber. Right, that's so true. So if you yeah. play it to gain the amber, because you're going to gain the amber first and then resolve the card text, you can effectively, for you could have sit on nine amber and yeah. then play Which, the card and then forge the key. That's not hard. I, I expect to see a lot of Night Forge. And it's only a, it's only an uncommon. So if you get yep. a Night Forge, that's going to be a really good component to a deck. Um, yep. I'm excited to see it. I mean, I, I guess I'm not excited to see key cheating on the other side of the table, <laughs> but I, I, I would love to get a few of these in a deck. Yeah, I think, I mean, you're not going to see it as much as you see key charge just because key charge is common. Right. Um, and, you know, who knows if they're going to print reprint that in uh, Age of Ascension, but it's certainly neat to see shadows with a uh, efficient key cheat for them. For them. Yep. So uh, next card up. So uh, I actually liked this card because... It rewarded you playing. You're, it rewards you for doing something that Brobnard doesn't really do all that often. Uh, so it's Foozle. It's a five power creature uh, that has reap. If an enemy creature has been destroyed this turn, gain one. Um, so with like ready nonsense that you can do, uh, you could use something like uh, I'm trying to think of a good like mighty javelin to destroy a creature and then reap yep. with her to gain one so then you end up getting two so it's kind of a do fairy on uh with a condition like you have to kill something in order to get two out of it but honestly like yeah it, it is not creature. it is not That's... like the brobnar style thing to do where it's like i'm gonna reap to gain amber but uh in order for me to do that Obviously, the Brobnar part of it is I have to actually kill something to, to get Right, it. and it's nice because you can still reap with it even if you haven't destroyed a creature. You still get that benefit. Um, it's just that if you've done the thing that Brobnar likes to do, which is destroy creatures, then you get an added bonus. I like cards like that. And this is a really solid common. I mean, five power, um, a conditional bonus reap ability. Like, that, that's a great common. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Um, 
So next after that is a really, really interesting card. Um, and it's it's really interesting just from what it does as well as the kind of design space that it's exploring. It's called Sucker Punch. It's a Shadows, car, uh, shadows action. Uh, gives you one bonus ember, and it reads Alpha. So that's one of the new mechanics. Uh, you can only play this card before doing anything else this step. Um, and then play. Deal two damage to an enemy creature. If that creature is destroyed by this effect, archive Sucker Punch. So that's really kind of cool. Um, if you kill something, so basically that reads, you ha it has to be the first card you play in the turn. You use it to deal two damage. If that thing dies as a result, you get to put Sucker Punch back in your archive, which is awesome. It's almost like getting it back in your hand, but on a delay. Um, and I actually would rather see... Well, because obviously if it came back to your hand, you just, well, no, if it came back to your hand, you wouldn't be able to play it again anyway, because it says alpha. Um, right. But having it go to your archive is really cool and really interesting, because then you have it for later turns without it clogging up your hand. I mean, this could have easily said alpha and then return it back to your hand. Well, I guess then you discard it. <laughs> so so let me, let me pose this uh, scenario to you about this card. So this card is... Relentless Whispers, but on a slightly lower scale. So Relentless Whispers is an, a Shadows action. It gives you an Amber when you play it. Play, deal two damage to a creature. If it, this damage destroys that creature, steal one. Now, if you think about that, though, like it on, on its face, Relentless Whispers seems a, lo a lot better, right? You gain two Amber. Effective, like if you can kill something, you're gaining two Amber. With this card, though... You are essentially getting that same benefit of Relentless Whispers turn after turn after turn. Now, you're not right. maybe not getting the steel one, but I've had numerous plays with Relentless Whispers where I've held it in my hand because there's like a Dew Fairy or a Dust Pixie on the table, and I can kill it with that, but they have no Amber to steal, right? Right. Because maybe they forged a key uh, with, with the those actions, or they just played that Dew Fairy. Like, I can't steal anything so i'm gonna hold that card back because i want to get maximum efficiency out of it this is now a card where like i don't have to worry about the steal effect so i can be like i'm gonna blow up your dust pixie now that goes to my archive next turn what other two power creature can i blow up the other thing to think about with sucker punch as well is i'm gonna edit this out because it does say enemy creature uh, so <laughs> so that actually that actually is a good point though too the one benefit to Relentless Whispers is you can bad penny BS it, right? Like you can Oh yeah. You can hit bad penny with the Relentless Whispers to kill her, bring her back to your hand, and then play it again, or you know, play her again. And then you're still getting the steel effect without you know, without having to deal with like a, a four hour power creature that has some damage on it or whatever. So you're not right. throwing Relentless Whispers away. Right, but, or if they have armor and stuff like that, if you just can't kill something, you're right. you still get your ember without losing a creature. Right. So that this card is super neat. I, I hope it ends up being like in practice. It ends up being a really, really fun card to play. It is uncommon. Uh, it, it is common. Uh, and Relentless Whispers is also common. So I, I don't know if that means that yep. it's a straight replacement. Although now I feel like it would be super rude to have both cards in a deck. Well, funny enough, um, Bad Penny is actually getting reprinted in Age of Ascension. Oh, boy. Yeah, so there's still going to be shenanigans. I love Bad Penny. I think that it's just such a cool, it's such a Richard Garfield card that I'm yeah. I'm glad. Like I I could, 
it would be it would be a funny running joke it would be like the uh like there's there's cards in magic they joke about getting reprinted all the time i would love to see bad penny in like every set forever i would just they would tickle my fancy yeah um because i i love bad penny. i mean you She's can't great. get rid of a bad penny right right that would be such a like a, like a funny meta thing if they just printed bad penny it just keeps turning up in every set like oh my I god we're, feel we're like... not even on the crucible anymore we're somewhere else and she's still here i do feel <laughs> like um that would probably incur some some player wrath because it's like this is one card like that yeah. you know there's gonna be something new here and you're still reprinting this card but i'm okay honestly, with that i like the joke too i i'm way into the joke think of every set as being one card think of every set as being one card yep. less <laughs> um but so uh so we talked about sucker punch how it puts itself in the archive which is cool um from some of the spoilers we're seeing there's a, a good amount of archive manipulation um archive is going to matter a lot more in age of ascension than it did in call of the archons not in terms of using it but in terms of yeah. interacting with it um so the next spoiler uh, spoiler that we saw is an untamed creature named Tantadin? Tantadlin. Tantadlin? Yeah, There's an L like in there. Tantadlin? Tantadlin. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and say that no, five no. times fast. Um, <laughs> so it's a tree creature. So it's like a, well, I guess all trees are living trees, but it's like an, an animate tree. Um, it's nine power and it deals two damage when fighting. So even though it's got nine power, it's only going to smack people for two, both coming and going. Um, so it's also got a fight ability. It says fight, discard a random card from your opponent's archives. So that's really cool. First off, random seems bad, but the whole idea of archive is that archive is supposed to be secret from your opponent. So this preserves that secrecy while still getting rid of cards from the archive so I, I like that i think that's actually a really good design choice instead of me suddenly knowing what's in your archive but then maybe you archive another card so now there's a mix of things i know are in your archive and things that aren't known in your archive so i like that it's random so it doesn't spoil that um and with its nine so it's it's two damage um means that you're not going to be it's it's not really 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 powerful it's not going to swing in there with nine power and crush something and then also make them discard something from their archive which would be huge uh, so just a huge swing in card advantage it's only doing two and it's got nine power or nine life essentially um so it's going to stick around and let you do that multiple times so if your opponent is playing a logos deck that is archiving over and over and over again you're able to just really negate that huge card advantage i think it's actually a step in the right direction to deal with things like library access decks that put tons of logos cards in their archive and then take them out for a huge turn um i really like yeah it. there was one cool. other spoiler that i don't have on my on hand right now um but that has a similar mechanic of that it only deals two damage when it fights um so i'm yep. gonna probably expect that this is going to be a uh an untamed kind of mechanic where the creature will be really yeah. really big but it always will do two damage um oh, actually i have it right here it is roxador uh which is a four power creature that has skirmish uh roxador only deals two damage when fighting but it has a fight trigger that is stun attacked creature yeah, I think that's going to be something you're going to start seeing a little bit more where it's like, okay, this only deals two damage, but you're going to have this control effect that kind of applies with that fight trigger. So it's funny. Um, 
I, I remember explaining because I, I have a, I play Magic. Steve plays Magic. We have a lot of friends that play Magic. So explaining um, some of the mechanics of uh, Keyforge to those players, one of the big things that we'd explain is like, okay, well, there's no concept of power and toughness. It's just power and toughness as power. So your life and your damage are the same thing. Well, not anymore. Now there is, <laughs> this is kind of, by having it deal two damage when fighting, but still have nine power, you're basically giving it a magic style it, power toughness or hearthstone style in effect, power toughness. Yes. Kind of thing. But the right. It's yeah, functional. The thing that you have to consider though with that is it doesn't increase the damage that it ever out. So anytime you're going to place a power token on that creature, it's still only dealing, you know, two damage. So if you want to keep the ma- the magic right. allegory to it, is every time you would place a plus one plus one counter on the creature, you're really placing a plus zero plus one counter on the creature. Oh, absolutely, and it's still affected by cards that like uh, destroy all um, creatures with four or more power, right. stuff like that. Um, is still going to factor in, even though it's only right. doing two damage. It's still nine power. So it's just it was just amusing to me that like coming from the magic thing like oh this is very different oh just kidding it's now <laughs> it's a more complicated now, way of doing that having like said it. that though there are ways of still pumping its power so if you give it something like mm-hmm. um way of the bear which is going to give it assault uh assault a damage yep. apply applies before the actual fight damage so you're going to do two damage without a- actually the the tandolin taking any damage and then it deals the two damage that it would do uh, so, or if you can give it a before fight trigger that would, uh, you know, shell out damage yep. first, like it still does the thing. So uh, that you can pump them. It's just your traditional ways of pumping them aren't going to work. Right. right. You have to be clever about it. Um, and I think it's good. This is a common. I don't know if we mentioned the rarity. It's a common. So it's going to it's going to show up a, a fair amount. Um, so it'll be a great way of messing around with people's archives. So when they sucker punch you, you can hit them with your Tandlin and. Yep get rid of it <laughs> hopefully randomly um so that one's cool so that brings us to our next card uh, that we're going to talk about into the fray uh it's a brobnar action it says play for the remainder of the turn a friendly brobnar creature gains fight ready this creature so essentially boiling that down uh it gives a particular friendly bra oh it has to be brobnar i didn't notice that when i was first reading it through so it gives one of your creatures your brobnar creatures the ability to fight almost indefinitely um because every time it fights it readies again now obviously that's going to be limited by how much power it has you know if it's a if it's a one power creature and you're trying to fight with it it's probably not going to last more than one fight um but you get some of those giants that we've seen that have like nine power 11 power it's going to be able to do a fair bit of fighting um before it gets killed and we can actually um (laughs) so we can talk about one of the other creatures so an interesting little interaction here and granted it it's going to involve getting a legacy card in your deck uh which for those that may not remember legacy cards are um reprints of cards from call of the archons that weren't official reprints uh, so anytime you open a deck so one thing to, to note here is we actually don't know if this card is actually getting reprinted That's uh, they did say a significant number of the rares were going to be reprinted in call of, uh in age of ascension uh so there's a high chance that this card is in the set that's true. And with the legacy mechanic, there's always a chance it'll get it'll show up in a deck regardless of its reprint status. Right. Um, so all that aside, Mugwump is a Brobnar creature. 
Uh, it's six power, and it says, after an enemy creature is destroyed fighting Mugwump, fully heal Mugwump and give it a plus one power counter. Um, the uh, the cool interaction is that with Into the Fray, that means that you give it the ability to ready itself after it fights. So you can have Mugwump hit something, kill it, fully heal itself, and then ready itself to fight again. So it can just machine gun down your opponent's board. Now, that having been said, oh, and, and even if it can't kill a creature on one swing, it could hit the creature to soften it up, ready, fight again, assuming it survives the second fight, um, it would then heal up and, and ready itself. Uh, one thing to keep in mind is that the rule of six does apply to this. Um, the rule of six states that uh, you can't play and or use the same card or other copies with the same name more than six times in a given turn. So the important thing there is that you can't use the same card more than six times. That means that if your opponent has seven creatures, you that last one gets to live. At least with the Mugwump into the fray counter, you may have something else. You might have your Mighty Javelin kill it, but that's beside the point. Yeah, it's. It, I feel like in most situations, you might as well just consider this a board wipe. Yeah. Uh, unless it does stall out on something. But you know what? yeah, I mean, it's still pretty pretty strong. Yeah, and you know what? If my if my opponent gets into the fray and Mugwump in their same deck and uses it on me, I'm going to be happy too. Like, yeah, you know what? We just both live the dream from different sides, but that's fine. <laughs> so let's take the combo, well, let's take the combo out of it. Into the fray, I mean, that's just a decent that's just a decent creature. It's going to require you to have uh, a high power creature to really get value out of it because if you just have like a 3 power, 4 power creature, it's probably only going to get to fight once unless they have a bunch of like really like little things. I will say this, um, this helps remove elusive. So if you have a creature, uh, so if your opponent has an elusive creature, you can play into the fray on your Brobnard dude. And then your Brobnard dude can fight once to break that elusive shield, so to speak. Uh, it'll ready itself and then it can fight again to actually kill the elusive creature. Yeah. I think with Brobnar, you're not really going to have too much of a problem. Actually, sorry. Because of the way this works with elusive, if your opponent has like four elusive creatures or any number of elusive creatures, you could just play this on one of your Brobnar creatures and then fight every elusive creature to break that elusive shield. So then they have no elusive left at the end of it. I mean, up to six of them because of the rule of six. But still, that's a great way of just eliminating elusive off there. So this almost reads, in a way, uh, like your opponent's creatures lose elusive. Uh, in in that instance, yeah. I mean, if sort you of. are... Sort If of. you're at, like, a... You know, if you're not at parity with creatures, uh, I mean, you're, you're going to run into your rule of six before you right. can actually kill a whole lot of things so well, killing them is a side but you can at least knock their elusive off even if you can't kill any of them right <laughs> which is it's just an interesting uh, interesting application i hadn't thought of that before until until now i guess this will actually be so here's an interesting combination with uh into the fray and it's another new card it is called uh groke it is a five power creature that has fight your opponent loses one oh, so nice. You can, you know, if you have enough creature targets to fight with and you can keep Groke alive uh, through multiple fights, 
you could probably steal, you know, I, I think if we were talking about averages here, you could probably steal like two to three, am- or not steal, but force them to lose two to three amber a turn. Yeah. I mean, as long as Grok lives. I think the average power, if you took like the, the a normal deck, the average power is probably right around three. So you could get two attacks in before it dies, um, yep. possibly three. Any more than that, and you're, you know, gravy town. Yeah, if you had something like, uh, let's see, if you had something like Blood of Titans, which gives him plus five armor, now he's a 10. Ooh, or not plus man. five armor, plus five power. Now he's a 10. That's right. You know, yeah, like that thing swings for the fences, you're going to lose a ton of amber. Now, granted, Blood of Titans is a uh, uncommon, so it's it's place in the next set is maybe questionable but i'm sure there's going to be things that pump power in this set that you can obviously apply to uh grok and then you know drop that card definitely interesting yeah so the next thing which they spoiled as a maverick is archimedes it is a Logos card, but in the spoiler, it is uh, an untamed card uh, that has Elusive, uh, which, oh, yeah. for, for a reminder, uh, the first time this creature is attacked this turn, deals no damage. Uh, it has two power, and then each of Archimedes' neighbors gain destroyed archive of this creature. So you place that next to your, place that next to your bulwark, or you know something, or let's just say mother. And then you, they get destroyed. They just get archived. You just bring them back out again on your next turn when you pick up your archives. I think that's a, a pretty fun card. Now, it only has two power. So the way around this is to just try to kill it through direct damage or something that's going to bypass, you know, any maybe neighboring triggers that there might be. Yeah. Uh, but still a neat card. So keep in mind, too. That destroyed archive this creature, the order of operations, uh, in case there's multiple destroyed effects, that kind of thing, um, it's up to the active player. So if you have uh, Archimedes and a bad penny next to each other, and it's your turn, um, if both of them die, or if, sorry, if, uh, yeah, if bad penny dies with Archimedes next to it, and it's your turn, you get to choose whether Bad Penny goes to hand or archive, I believe. Right. Fairly sure about that. If it's your opponent's turn and they kill your Bad Penny while it's next to Archimedes, they get to choose if it goes to your hand or archive, which, I mean, I don't know how much of a difference that makes. Some some would say, and in some situations, it's more debilitating to have Bad Penny come back to your hand uh, than it would be to have her go to your archive. Um, right. And in some cases, it's worse to have her go to your archive. Maybe you're going to call Shadows the next turn anyway, and you've got other cards in your archive that you didn't want to deal with. Um, but if your opponent has Tandlin there and puts Bad Penny in your archive and then hits you with Tandlin and makes you randomly discard Bad Penny, well, now she's actually in your discard pile for once. Yep. So uh, there's another interesting card uh, that kind of replaces uh, Pawn Sacrifice in a way. I'm not saying that it is going to replace Pawn Sacrifice, but does sort of function in the same way uh it's called life for a life it is a shadows card that is uh play sacrifice a creature deal six damage to a creature it also gives you a bonus amber so now you can sacrifice your bad penny to take down like a a beefy brobnar card 
because uh, that's always the thing that I, I always have with like shadows removal is it's either bounce or it's very low direct damage. Well, it talks a little bit about, uh, like I mentioned at the top of the show, soft removal versus hard removal. Right. Soft removal is, is mostly damage, like little things like that. And this, even though it's still technically maybe classified as soft removal because it's dealing damage, when you get to a certain point, uh, when you get to a certain level of damage, it's practically hard removal. So right. I would I would kind of point this at that maybe like nine-tenths of a hard removal card, which is something, sh- like you said, Shadows desperately needs, like... A way to just nope you're dead uh now so there's there's a few more spoilers but just for time purposes and everything we're not going to necessarily go all over uh, over all of them um additionally we're probably going to be doing a set review when the uh, entire spoiler is available so we don't want to tread too much on the same ground that we're going to be talking about later Um, but the last one i want to mention is fang house uh not because it's amazing not because it's like incredibly game breaking or has new mechanics or anything else but just because the card is hilarious and horrifying uh so fang house is an untamed creature it's a beast for all you niffle queen lovers out there um it's got three power and it has assault three and hazardous three Uh, as a reminder assault three is before this creature attacks deal three to the attacked enemy um and then hazardous three is before this creature is attacked deal three to the attacking enemy uh, but the best part about this card is the art. It's this snake centipede. So it's got like the the face and hood of a cobra, and then it's got the body and legs of a centipede, but then it's also got like feathers on its head and hood. So it's this horrifying amalgamation of two like nasty things and then a bird. Um, I looked at that just... like it was like a... Th- oh, okay, never mind. Yeah, I get the bird part now. Yeah, you see how it's kind of got like feathers around its head or whatever? Like only in the Crucible could you have a, uh, or maybe in the Simic Combines of Magic, um, (laughs) could you have a snakeapede, an avian snakeapede? So I'm going to argue with you about the art being the most interesting part of this card. Uh, And you kind of brought it up in in that it is a beast. Uh, So a Niffle Queen making it a four power creature and then it having assault three and assault or hazardous three, like you don't want this thing swinging at you beforehand and you don't want to be swinging at it. And then on top of that, it's going to do all of that. And then it's fight damage. Like, ugh, like just on raw power, this thing is good. And then on top of that, it's uncommon. It's common. Uh, I don't think there's going to be a fantastic chance of Niffle Queen getting reprinted though, because if they, in order for Niffle Queen to be, relevant it kind of needs niffle apes or some other type of niffle creature so the only way i could see it being reprinted is if they printed a new kind of niffle creature which is not impossible like obviously they could invent a new niffle non-ape creature and put that into the set but that would be the only way i could see niffle queen coming in but even without that extra power um it's a functionally six offense uh to coin a phrase there um it's going to deal six whether it's attacking you or you're attacking it now it's only got three life so it's actually this is kind of the opposite of those two other cards we were like we were making that joke about power toughness from magic this is kind of the opposite situation where it's going to deal more damage than it has life whereas those other twos had more life than they were going to deal damage right um so it's kind of cool that they're they're hitting that that design space of like of acing uh 
asymmetrical damage versus life um, in in both directions, not just uh, the one. And it's it's cool that they've set their mechanics up um, to be able to do that. Yeah, it's going to be it's another one of those cards that I looked at and I was like, okay. And on its face, it seemed so disinteresting to me. And now that we've talked about it, I'm like, oh, actually, no, this is kind of a pain in the butt. Yeah. Uh, of a creature to see on the other side of the table and then definitely something I want to see on my side of the table. Well, and it's a lightning rod. Um I mean, yeah. I so that's a that's a, a term used to describe anything that um you put it down knowing that your opponent kind of has to remove it or is highly incentivized to remove it. So the witch cycle from Call of the Archons, which of the eye hunting witch um which of the other thing uh I can't remember the third witch. I can never remember all three. Hunting witch. I thought I said hunting witch. Oh, I might not have been paying attention. It's, it's <laughs> well, witch of the eye, witch of the hunt, and then... Uh, oh, okay. Or hunting witch, and then witch of the wilds. Witch of the wilds, that was the one. Okay. Um, so cards like uh, like the Call of the Archons, um, witch of the eye, hunting witch, witch of the wilds, so those are lightning rods, because you want to get rid of those as fast as possible. Um, this is another one that maybe isn't quite on the same power as those, but it is still a lightning rod in that if they leave it on the table, then they're going to be losing creatures left and right to this thing. Um, and it's so easy to remove it since it only actually has three power um, that they're going to be incentivized to kind of burn a removal spell on it just to protect their own stuff. Right. So it's it's in a good place. It's it's a really good balance. And it's a common too. So you're going to see this thing. Yep. Um, and potentially in multiples and it's going to be obnoxious every time technically there are four witches are there Taliga the one? is oh, a three power a creature yep. that each time your opponent plays a creature you gain one so it's like reverse hunting witch yeah when hunting witch is basically full moon which is every time you play a creature yep. you gain an ember yeah yep. that's interesting you need both of those you want both of those in your deck plus a full moon yeah so I think it's time that we announce who won the first set of tokens. Yeah. So uh, the first set of tokens, we did our little random drawing uh, and I'm not going to do a drum roll. I'm just going to go right into this. Uh, it looks like the guys at discourse Keyforge or discourse KF uh, are the first winners. So um, they are a fellow podcast, fellow content creator for Keyforge. I recommend following them on Twitter, maybe checking them out. Uh, they're at D I S c-o-u-r-s-e-k-f uh, on twitter so that's at dis course kf um and they just won themselves some uh some sweet sweet strategic dino tokens yep just as a reminder they are the armor and stun tokens for mm -hmm. uh from strategic dino so they're really cool yeah they're very cool I think you uh, you put an order in too, so and you got yours. I did, and, and the they are sweet. unique amber tokens were much heavier than I expected. Yeah, in a good way. <laughs> in a good way, they were they are awesome. They look great. Yeah, do they have a good mouth feel? Uh, I can't say I put them in my <laughs> mouth. Uh, it was late enough when I opened the package that I might have been con like thought about it, uh, <laughs> but I was too tired and I went to bed. So like uh, bedtime snack or no, I'll just leave them for tomorrow. Um. So that's cool. So congratulations. Uh, we have one more pack of tokens to give away. Um, so still retweet, uh, still do the hashtag keychains dino. Um, and even if you don't win, um, check out strategic to check out some of his other tokens. Yeah. So 
uh, I know we just mentioned one content creator. Uh, that was just because they won. Um, but one thing that we want to try to do in each of our episodes from here on forward is we want to, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people in the Keyforge community. There's a lot of people that are doing content, doing great things out there. And we just want to try to mention one of them in every episode. Um, so who we'd like to mention this episode is someone named, uh, or going by the name, Hallie Happoween. Uh, you can catch them on YouTube. Uh, what is their YouTube thing? It's Hallie you Happoween the URL. on there as well. Is it? Yeah. Okay. And I'll put the URL in the show notes. Okay, cool. Uh, and you can catch him on Twitter, at Happoween. Um, and so far on YouTube, he's got a couple gameplay videos from The Crucible up there. So that's really cool. Uh, he does a good job with them. Uh, it's like one game per video so far. I'm sure he's going to be churning out more of those things. And he's pretty active on Twitter. So check him out. Um, you know, after you're done with our podcast, you probably haven't got a whole lot more going on in your life. So here's another way to fill it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right. Well, I meant I meant I meant Keyforge content. I mean, you you are a you are a wonderful person with plenty of friends and lots of things to do to engage your social life. I meant in terms of uh, Keyforge entertainment. All right, and as usual, you can follow <laughs> us on Facebook at uh, Keychains Pod. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. Same thing at Keychains Pod. Uh, you can send us an email at Keychains Podcast. Or, sorry, Keychains Pod at gmail.com. Please direct all of your hate mail about your social life to <laughs> uh, Ryan specifically. That way, I can filter it out when it comes in and just forward it off to him. <laughs> uh, coming soon, we're going to be getting ourselves on Instagram. We had some credential problems. We're getting those straightened out, and uh, we're going to be putting our episodes on YouTube in the near future. As soon as I get to that but i figured out how to do it so you know that's coming um and uh so that for those of you that find youtube a little easier to engage with us we're gonna have that going on yeah all right well have a good one everybody yeah take care bye